Welcome to the Baker McKenzie podcast series, Solutions for a Connected World. In this episode, we're looking at building business resilience, specifically how companies can build resilience and security as they navigate the current economic and geopolitical turbulence, as well as the advent of the fourth industrial revolution and the cyber perils that brings. I'm joined today by three industry experts to help tackle this topic. They are Anne Pettard, partner at Baker McKenzie, who focuses on regulatory issues for online, telco and IT businesses. Mark Turner, Managing Director at Kroll, a leading provider of risk and financial advisory solutions, and economist, speaker and writer Francis Coppola. We are in the midst of a changing and uncertain economic environment. The COVID-19 pandemic, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a cost of living crisis in Europe linked to rising energy prices, a slowdown in China and inflation pressures have all come together to create a turbulent international business environment. Recently, the IMF has estimated a one in four probability that global growth next year could fall below the historically low level of 2%. With that in mind, let's kick it off with you, Francis. Economic strength and resilience depends on a healthy investment climate. Why is stimulating investment critical for future financial resilience? And how have you seen the most successful businesses pivot operations to encourage investment? Well, I think we've had quite a long time when there probably hasn't been enough investment. Investment creates the foundations of our society. And I don't just mean the obvious kind of public sector infrastructure, roads and rail and various services and things like that, which are kind of obvious things that we have not invested enough in, but also private sector investment. There hasn't been enough business investment for quite a long time now. There's a lot of firms sort of building up cash and then not really knowing what to do with the cash. There's been a lot of churn on financial markets. There's been share buybacks. There's been all sorts of things and really not a great deal of long-term investment from companies. And I think we have some things that in, our, in the way we do things, maybe the way we set up things, maybe discourage long-term investment or maybe even just make it unnecessarily difficult I think the consensus is beginning to emerge that actually this is an area where the public sector needs to take the lead because, in a way, it's too far removed from everything we've done in the past. The whole history of economics, almost, the the whole story of the growth of the last 200 years has all been driven by fossil fuels. Here we are trying to move away from fossil fuels. And it's understandable that private sector investors might say, we're not at all sure this is going to work, whereas the public sector can take risks that the private sector arguably can't. So there's a case here for governments to take the lead on this, but not to exclude private investment, more to create the framework and the environment in which private sector investors can, can feel confident to invest. Anne, let's focus on risk management now. And as a part of that, look at regulation as another pillar of economic security. The OECD describes regulation as of critical importance in shaping the welfare of economics and society. Why is regulation so critical and how can we make the process of adhering to changing regulation smoother? Why I'm interested in this area is it's about protecting businesses and individuals from harm. I think it's not a static area. Today's threats will be different tomorrow. And so it's an evolving area that businesses need to keep up on, which keeps it interesting. 
a lot of the time, businesses and the government are on the same page. They're wanting to put adequate protections and safeguards in place. It's just how do they navigate that and get on the same way and do that in a practical way that works for both parties. I think a lot of businesses, if we did a survey, would say, well, there's more that can be done. One of the concerns I hear more from businesses is not so much of a lack of a voice in policy making. For example, as a policy issue, most businesses will agree with the government that there needs to be adequate um, um, safeguards you know, online for child safety. Or as a principle, there needs to be adequate protections in place to protect people's personal data. That sort of policy principle is not controversial in most cases. What then can become a bit more controversial is, well, how are you implementing that policy? And again, I think yeah, a lot of businesses would say they would like to be engaged a bit more with government and government to be more engaged with them as to how they implement the policy and picking up things about, is that implementation going to be effective? What's the cost impact of that? Is it harmonised with what other governments do in, in other jurisdictions? All of those sorts of things, I think in particular, businesses would like to see a little bit more government engagement on. We particularly have different jurisdictions and regulators at different stages of regulating things like cryptocurrencies, NFTs, all these sort of emerging, or some people would say have been around now for a while. And some governments have moved forward and introduced regulation. And, and look, for some businesses, even if you don't like the regulation, once you know what it is, you get that certainty about what you can do and what you can't do. And so you know, the, the effective regulation, I think, in large part is being clear on what it is the government is saying is, is allowed or not allowed. And the hesitancy of government and long-running reviews are needed so that governments can get across the technology, develop their policy, but also there's a trade-off there of sometimes a bit of delay in, in formulating the rules and that can be a bit stifling for industry. And again, particularly I sit in the Asia-Pacific region, a lot of businesses will launch products in select countries and in an order. They make decisions according to where there is more business certainty in, in the regulation as opposed to other jurisdictions. Even if that business certainty is you can't do certain things, it still means they know what they can do. Mark, let's bring you in. Digitisation is transforming almost every business and industry. What is the practical impact of laws in the digital space and how can regulators enable innovation? Innovation over the last five to ten years or so, it's moving at an amazing pace and digitisation has been a huge part of that. Whether we're talking about the advent, if you like, maturity of crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, all the way through to our day-to-day -day experiences using retail banks, for example. There are a lot of things that we can do today that we could have only dreamt of maybe seven or eight years ago. So it's having a massive impact on the industry. If I maybe talk a little bit about regulation and where that comes in, I think effective regulation should be able to enable or should not stand in the way of innovation. Where it is, of course, very difficult for regulators to get it right every time is to guess what innovation is going to prove successful. Where are there assets and new ideas where there's going to be harm, whether that's harm to 
consumers, whether it's harm to markets, whether it's harm to financial stability, the regulator doesn't have a crystal ball. What they can do, and I think what a number of regulators have been really successful in, in doing, although there's still a way to go, is to promote transparency, to ask consistent questions that you'd expect regulators to ask, whether you're in the digital space or, or the non-digital space, around things like systems controls, good governance, culture, hugely important. Anne, a thought from you. Some of the common complaints you hear about laws, look, the law doesn't keep up with technology. It's an often used phrase that we have a new technology and the law's just not keeping up with it. We also hear complaints that the new laws, they bring problems because the new laws have been brought in too fast and the lawmakers maybe don't understand the technology or they don't understand the practical and the cost implications of compliance. So businesses and government, they need to work a little bit more to work out where they can get that meeting of the minds a bit more. But I think laws that are a bit more set at a principle level instead of specific prescribed requirements can be easier for a business to implement as the business has got more flexibility to implement the solution that meets the legal requirements in a way that works for their business. An example of that for particularly many jurisdictions in Asia Pacific is the privacy laws are principles-based. So you have to put in place adequate safeguards for the personal information that you hold, for example. And so a business can work out what is the best way for it to do that. Now, having principles-based laws for everything is not going to work in all cases, so you've got to pick what works. There might be a good reason to be more specific on a particular requirement. We've talked about the importance of investment and regulation in growing the economy. In terms of shoring up individual businesses, healthy supply chains are critical to success, and G7 leaders have called for greater supply chain resilience. Francis, what challenges do companies face currently? Well, interestingly, really since the financial crisis, supply chains have shortened quite a bit. We used to have these incredibly long distributed supply chains that spanned the entire world and sometimes kind of folded back on themselves and things like that. When you've got these very long extended supply chains, you've also got logistical problems. So you have got the problem that you are massively increasing your carbon footprint. You do have to pay attention to the different legal frameworks in different countries. And if the legal framework of countries in which you're dealing with are too different from your own, then you've immediately potentially got issues creeping in there that will need careful management as well. So there are good reasons for companies tending to shorten supply chains these days and make them more manageable. Mark, your thoughts on supply chain resilience? Cybersecurity and cyber resilience is part of broader supply chain and operational resilience. It's a key part through the growth of digital. It's become, for many firms, it, it can be a weak link. It can be where they are most vulnerable. Where things go wrong, it can be fatal. Reputational side of things can kill businesses just as much as the financial side. Given the risks of what can go wrong, both commercially, but also reputationally, even if we think we've got the best infrastructure and, and best protection in the world, well, how will we respond if something happens, if somebody manages to break into the network? What do we do? Can't emphasize enough that the earlier firms start thinking about that and start planning, not planning for every eventuality. You know, nobody can do that. Even the biggest firms can't do that. But at least saying, okay, well, if something happens, who do we talk to? Who do we convene? Something might happen at 2am on a Sunday. So, what happens? 
Think about the practical side, not just the theoretical side. Okay, who do I phone? Who are my network of experts in this area, both internally and maybe externally? And play it through, you know, wargame it. Develop that sort of muscle memory so that you think, okay, I've done this before, I'm going to do it again. Hopefully the done it before is, and maybe even the doing again is sort of a theoretical scenario basis rather than the real thing. But when the real thing comes along, yes, it's always going to be a shock and you can't prepare for everything. But the more preparation you can do, the better. Francis, in our increasingly connected and digitised world, cyber risks are on the rise. How have you seen that playing out? One of the big changes that's happened very recently, really, just in the last couple of years, has, of course, been the, the move towards distributed teams working from home, remote working. And that raises serious cybersecurity concerns because the more distributed you are, the bigger your attack surface, really, and therefore the more attention you have to give to cybersecurity is going to be a real area of risk for firms, but also for opportunity. The firms that are the best protected against cybersecurity risk are going to be the most successful, simply because they're not so exposed to to hacks and scams and ransomware and so forth, or even just operator mistake, which is one of the big issues is phishing and so forth, impersonation, which are the kind of risks that firms are exposed to in a much more distributed environment. I don't think the distributed working environment is going to go away. I think the important thing is that whatever companies are doing, they're not doing it alone. They are, in a way, fitting into a wider offering that they're effectively working in collaboration with other companies to do from the consumer's point of view. It kind of all fits together. If the things that the various companies involved in that aren't working together, aren't collaborating, aren't making sure that everything fits together seamlessly, then it creates opportunities for cyber criminals to sneak in and attack various components of it. Anne, from a risk management perspective, how can businesses prepare for a potential increase in cyber attacks? I was talking to a business earlier today on a, a cybersecurity presentation. They just kept coming back to, well, what's the director exposure? The directors need to be more aware that they need to be asking the right questions to understand and be on record that they've asked the right questions to understand that the business has adequate cybersecurity measures in place. So you've got all those things going on before we even think about, well, you've got the reputational damage of a business suffering a large cybersecurity incident. And then, of course, also claims whether it's from maybe shareholders or claims perhaps from other parties that you have contracts with. If I can't deliver goods to somebody I have a contract with because my service provider has had a cybersecurity incident and they can't deliver my goods for me, you have all those flow-on effects as well. So there's any number of reasons, let alone the cost impact of of significant cybersecurity incidents for business. That just means this is a high-level top board issue for most businesses these days. Mark, looking ahead, what is the key to ensure economic security and to boost growth? There is, of course, a natural and and perhaps dare I say, even healthy tension between the the objectives of the industry and the regulators. So it's great. And and you would hope that regulators don't stifle innovation. So it's great that there's innovation coming from the industry. But the regulators are there to provide a bit of a check and challenge to make sure that whilst innovation is encouraged, that things don't spiral out of control and that the stability of of economies and on the conduct side, that harm to consumers is front and centre. Anne, a final thought from you. I think the policy issues are pretty interesting. As we've touched on, a lot of the time, businesses and the government are on the same page. They're wanting to put adequate protections and safeguards in place. It's just how do they navigate that 
get on the same way and do that in a practical way that works for both parties. And I guess the last part of it is I do love this constant debate about technology in line with the law and keeping up with the law. That's a debate that we're going to keep having as things evolve. But I think it's always an interesting debate about, look, is the law adequate? as it is, or what needs to be tweaked in order to capture an issue raised by new technology. Economic strength and resilience depends on a healthy investment climate. A move to alternative energy sources and a focus on sustainability can also be helpful for businesses. McKinsey reports that India could more than quadruple its renewable energy capacity by 2030, generating $90 billion in GDP and supporting 2 million jobs. Better digital platforms have created more transparent global markets and innovation will help strengthen economic growth. However, as we've heard in this episode, regulatory response to growing digitalization must be adapted to create a safe and robust ecosystem. And businesses also have their part to play to secure what is theirs and the people that work for them. The growing challenges businesses face in terms of economic security must be met with collaborations, international cooperation, and connected solutions. 